Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. You are tuned in listening to the Cinematic Odyssey here on United to the Moose. Uh, we are talking about a debut, debut feature from Michael Mann. Fame, also famous for the 1995 crime thriller drama Heat. Uh, that features Robert De Niro and Al Pacino as the leads. Um, but this film, his debut, entitled Thief, features James Caan, who's a bit of an underrated actor of his era. Uh, he's most famous for his roles in, well, role in The Godfather as Sonny Corleone, the very hot-headed uh, son of the three, or the three sons of the, the Corleone family. But um, yeah, uh, that's that's the film we're gonna be talking about today. I loved it. I thought it was great. And you know, you did not think as much as highly as I did of it. But I mean, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> it was all right. It was all right. <laughs> I mean. I mean, I also can't just believe you just passed over James Khan's most notable work as um. Walter Hobbs and Elf, but you know, we live and we learn. <laughs> Film also stars uh, John Belushi, whom I did not recognize and didn't realize uh, he was in this movie until after the fact. Well, I mean, I read the opening title sequence, but like, I was like, all right, we'll we'll see how this plays out. Oh, Jim Belushi. Oh, it was Jim Belushi. Yeah, not yeah, um, John. Not. Not Bluto, not the gentleman from Animal House, but a Belushi, the Blues brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, getting his name wrong already. We're off to a great start. This is going to be a fun one. I could tell. Well, look, I mean, <laughs> to give a brief synopsis, or not synopsis of the film, but Thief as what you expect it to be. I mean, Michael Mann, pretty much his entire career. Um, most of his films, at least during this period of time, or I should say his most highly acclaimed ones are of these like kind of cat and mouse-esque thing. While that's not necessarily a, uh, a story motif or not a motif, but like a, an idea that's played with or a narrative trope that's played with in this film. Uh, he goes into that in his other works, like, you know, Heat, most notably, Manhunter, um, The Insider. Because I think yeah. the Manhunter came out after this, if I recall. Like, was the next film that he came out with? Oh, no, it was The Keep. And then Manhunter. And then Heat. No. It was Thief, The Keep. Manhunter, which is like another uh, highly acclaimed film. That one actually has the first time where the character of Hannibal Lecter is put on the screen. Um, and then Last of Mohicans, which has Daniel Day-Lewis in it. And then Heat, Ooh. which is, yeah, his most famous film, which was the other film that we would have talked about, but uh, you were kind of pressed for time. Coming up later this summer yes yes because that that film's where that that film is i would say a lot better than thief 
but I think that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch Thief. I think Thief is certainly worth a watch, in my opinion. Yeah. But without all that away, it's basically uh, follows this guy, Frank. He's a jewel thief. And he's very meticulous about his work, as we see in the opening scene. Um, he works not by himself. He works with two of his like par- friends slash partners. Um, one dude like does police scanner. He like listens to the police scanner, and then um, the other guy, he like jams the alarms or whatever, or whatever he does. I don't know. Yeah. I think something like that. But but uh, Frank, he does the actual breaking into the vault and stealing the things part of the job. Um, And in the two times we do see him do it, uh, it's very deliberate. There's no like, there's no speeding up of the process. We see him do the entire thing. Like there's no cuts to make it shorter, which I think is a great touch. Um, which is reminiscent of a an Italian heist film by the name of Rafifi, which I've seen, which famously has a thirty minute sequence of just the 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 crew doing the job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, and then he comes into contact with some dude who offers him like an opportunity to work for him, and then uh, some some drama happens between the two of them. Yeah. And to step back and look at the um the heist scenes, it's not seen as super easy either. It's not like um you know, Mission Impossible, 2 seconds of drilling, we're in. We just pick the lock in under 30 seconds. No, these scenes are I think the first one, the opening scene of the film is one of these heist film heist scenes. It's about you know, five, six, seven minutes long. And a lot of it is just drilling through the safe door while the opening credits roll. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of, because yeah, it's adrenaline filled. Did it, did that scene hook me in? Yes, it did. Actually. That was a very, there was a very well-made scene. Um, but like, when you're, doing this it's not like it's all a bunch of fast-paced crunching time you have 20 minutes to break in or else it needs you need to be in and out without a trace cleaning up everything they're being very careful but it also it's a time-consuming process of course so i've heard i have not also broken into um and stolen any jewels uh so if you're looking for a thief it's not me i promise (laughs) (laughs) but like it's kind of just that para you're living on that edge of paranoia while you're just kind of being patient and letting letting you know your tools do their work yeah but it was really impressive Mm -hmm. and like well they're very yeah they're very um like the film, like you said, like there's no time limit because they're they're perfect. We we get the, the very heavy impression that these guys are experts at this. Yeah, they are very smart. And I was thinking, I was thinking this to myself when they were like doing the post cleanup work or whatever. Like you know, the car 
they have a garage like in the under a freeway that yeah. looks abandoned like they park their car in there and then they get their real cars and drive off um and whatnot and like the whole setup of the two like the different roles that they each have like the one dude is you know the watching the police scanner one dude is breaking into the vault one dude is jamming the alarms or whatever uh and meticulously watching these things and not getting distracted i was like okay these guys are pros um and they're probably will never ever get caught never they're so, a well-oiled machine it's yeah uh and and too also too during this opening sequence or i i love this like the soundtrack to this film very 80s like just yeah. mo it's like very synthetic like using synthesizers um but it kind of has this like rolling effect uh and kind of hypnotic in a way to me with you know with watching them like steal uh break into the vault steal the gems and whatnot but it has this very hypnotic aura about it that That's i cool. really not only like gripped me or hooked me into the film more uh without it you know i mean i still would have been hooked if the soundtrack wasn't there but it just added this layer of like tension i suppose or like Eh, not really suspense, but like this, like underlying uh, threat. Like they're 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 under risk. You know, they're they're taking a big risk of doing this job because like it takes long. You know, if somebody happens to like walk in, as if there would be anybody walking in at like God knows yeah. what hour that in the morning they're doing this. But you know, it's still it's still it's still a risk. Yeah. If you want to get to how 80s it is, the uh, artist who created is Tangerine Dream. Oh, yeah. yeah. That sounds like either a, a smoothie flavor or a wallpaper color. But they did the soundtrack, and you're absolutely right. It That electronic feel, that aura, it, it's a little bit ethereal, because a lot of the film takes place at night and yeah. in the in the wee hours of the morning and so it, it helps kind of capture that everyone's asleep but there's a job to be done and there's a lot of pressure on this job yeah yeah um but uh yeah i mean we we quickly find out or learn about frank that he doesn't want to keep doing this like he just is doing this so he can make money to retire like he owns two businesses he owns a bar and a dealership car dealership used car dealership yeah um but clearly that's like not enough revenue to sustain the, the life that he wants to live after he's done you know stealing stuff and not only that does he want to retire he wants to have a family and he wants family fast and quick. And he, he said that he had an ex-wife that it didn't work out with because he, he didn't tell her the truth about what he did. And so it was just kind of like, you know, I can't, I can't live like this anymore. 
or live be in this relationship anymore um and then he like sees this woman in a diner and is like hey let's go out to dinner <laughs> nowhere i mean he's been in prison too like he's yeah. desensitized a little bit to the outside world i mean i think it's interesting that he's a two-time business owner after having that be done um after having been in prison because of course as we find out later as he progresses in his relationship with this woman he's literally just met um you know, they, they talk about marriage, they talk about kind of just not throwing a party for marriage, but kind of just being married, civilly married. And then they talk about adoption and a baby and stuff like that. And they can't adopt a baby because of his past criminal record. Yeah. I mean, it... I think it absolutely makes sense because you go with the he he has the most suspicious occupation out of any but any occupation that maybe has ever existed ever, which is used car salesman. Oh, he they, owns it. He owns it. I mean, yeah, but like that. Tell me, that's not like the most like if I was going to pick a spot. As a thief to, you know, I own this spot. I hunker down. I lay low. I think my top three choices are mattress store, laundromat, or used car dealership. I was, I was thinking like the, as like places as fronts as like um, a nail, a nail salon. Oh, or a hair salon. Or not a hair salon, a nail salon. Like those are, I see those like, like the, like the foot massage place like <laughs> <laughs> oh massage parlor that's perfect in bold red lettering and then it's some of them always some of them say like asian in front of it i don't know if you see those being back in buffalo not as much not as much out here out here out here in la it's like all over the place yeah yeah so <laughs> lots of fronts lots of people with fronts out here Lots of uh, activity going down on here, but <laughs> how fun! I mean, uh, no, nobody buys mattresses. I mean, come on. No, that that's also too pretty famous for like yeah. being a, a money laundering scheme. Because oh, when yeah. there when there's a mattress store, there's usually like five other ones next door. Yeah, it, it befuddles me. Yeah, it's weird. But anyway. Yeah. So yeah, he owns the the car. He's a car salesman. <laughs> yeah, he owns the dealership. He owns his bar. Um, he's got a house. Right? Yeah, he's got a house. Yeah, he has a house. Yeah. Yeah. No, but hey. no, but his uh, his new business partner gives him the house. Ah, that's fair. That makes because sense. because right, like after he gets the gems from the first heist that we see, oh, there's a problem with like the exchange of cash for the for the diamonds, and so he goes to this dude who is like basically in charge of the transaction, and you know he he shows up to his like place and threatens to kill him, you know, if he doesn't give him his money, 
um, all that. And so they he sets up a meet with his like boss, and his boss offers him this like amazing deal, right? It's like, look, you don't have to do any casing of any place. You don't have to, uh, you know, find like find out intel of where you could even do a heist. You don't have to do any of the pre-prep work. I could get you all the blueprints of the place. I can get you all this stuff, even the tools, like all of that stuff, I can get you. All you have to do is you and your crew go in there, get the things and get out and you will get compensated for your work, right? Because prior to this, basically Frank and his two buddies uh, they do all the they do all that work by themselves, and so they don't have to worry about like I mentioned, like a like a third party that they have to kind of go through um, to get paid, right? And Frank makes it clear that he doesn't like selling his labor off to other people so that they can profit off of him, which is the theme that replay or kind of comes up again later in the film but we'll get to that um, but he's very adamant about like this idea of look i don't i am a boss of myself i'm my own boss like i decide what i do like i i don't like being told what to do um but you know this whole like conjecture goes about between the two of them and eventually he agrees and he signs up and basically becomes this guy's worker or contractor essentially like yeah yeah um and so there's frank tells him specifically like i am only doing one to two big jobs and that's it and i'm out because he he told him like i want to retire I don't want to be, I don't want to do this forever. All this, all this sorts of, all these sorts of demands, right? And it's completely justified, right? Yeah. And we see them do prep work for a job in California at some like bank or whatever. But yeah, we'll get into that. And so anyways, that's why he's kind of like, that's a it's an aspect of his character that's like very important to who he is. Um. I mean, I feel like if you if you take an abstract look at the film, it's really, really intricate, interesting with the dynamics of power, wealth, and um, you know, fortune. Because like with these jewel thieveries um it's not like frank is making bad money on top of owning two businesses whether or not they're failing it doesn't matter because the bar always seems to be populated i mean i don't see anybody with the cars but he's got employees and he's got customers at least once that we see that uh, him at the car dealership during the day. Um, it's not like he's making bad money outside, but it's also, yeah. I mean, the, the the amount of money that he's due 
from the first the opening scene heist that is you know stolen from his 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 point man who gets I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and see how many different mobster terms for killed I can pull out this episode. Uh, who gets whacked? Um, he missed out on nine, like I think it was like ninety or a hundred k. No, 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 nearly two hundred thousand dollars, one hundred eighty-five thousand from that that one job. Yeah, yeah. Well then, one hundred eighty-five thousand dollars. By the way, today is about 565,000 right now. That's a mil. Jeez, that's, that's, yeah, that's a lot. So if we, we gotta, I think if we contextualize that and we say, oh my God, he's missing out on half a million dollars extra. Like, first of all, I want to just critique what kind of life he wants to lead after he retires because holy crap, that's a lot of money. But, uh, he it's not like he needs to i i i guess what what catches but what reels me in is the allure of working as a contractor for leo who is i mean if you if you thought of a stereotypical mob business tycoon it's probably You'd probably think of something similar to the actor who portrays Leo. Um, older white guy in suspenders. Um, that's that's pretty much what you got. White hair. Yeah. That's the stuff. But Frank is running a profitable enterprise on his own. He doesn't really... I mean, yeah, he gets the promise of more money. Maybe it makes it easier to retire. But also, he's got his own freedom. He's got his liberty. He can choose however he wants to. Yeah. Uh, being independent allows him to pick and choose what he does, and he kind—I of, think he kind of just—he falls under the spell of this man can get me anything that I want, um, and that it'll happen sooner. And it feels like for a guy who's been in prison. Um, made it out, you know, is still a thief, has a tight-knit group of people that he works with. The leap to trust this guy is just, it feels so out of character mm. that he would ever think to trust this guy because you uh, it's like willingly going into a relationship where you are confirmed to be subservient or a subordinate to somebody else. Right. It, it doesn't sit well with me that he would consider that as an option without like thoroughly vetting or, you know, weighing his options. I mean, plus as we of course find out he Leo is manipulative is withholding and does try and keep Frank on the rope for far more than he initially agreed for. Cause he initially agrees to one heist. Is that correct? Yeah. Like one to two heists. At yeah. The most. Yeah. And he's, he's slated to bring in $830,000, which again, his share is two and a half million dollars today. That's a, 
pretty good amount of money. I'm going to say it's pretty yeah. good amount of money. <laughs> yeah. But Leo only gives him 90000 out of 830, which is, you know, if you're looking Nothing at compared to what it should be and a half million. I mean, $250,000, $275,000 is nothing to sneeze at, but also it's not what you were promised. It's yeah, not, yeah. he wasn't getting paid properly. Yeah. He was probably getting compensated for the work that he did. Because Leo had the upper hand. Leo was like, well, you're doing the labor, but I have the money, and I can pay for whatever I'd like. And, you know, you can get the rest of your money if you just do maybe four other jobs across – Texas and Florida and do whatever for me. And he's like, no, we agreed on one heist or two heists. I did them. Money, please. Yeah. And he's in the right. I mean, absolutely. He's, he's in the right. 100%. Like, um, in that scene, he's, he, Frank goes on this, like, kind of, uh, I guess rant. I suppose he may he spits fire basically. Oh yeah. like, Look, you're making profit off the yield of my labor. I I assume all the risk because I'm the one in there spending all this time inside the the place. I'm the one who is, you know, getting all these tools together. I'm the one who has the knowledge to do what I'm doing, right? Because Leo couldn't do what he does. Absolutely not. All Leo did was, here's the place, uh, here are the blueprints, figure it out. Now figure out how to break into it, figure out how to like, you know, yeah. uh, get through the vault. Because like when they're looking at the, the, the bank or whatever, looking at the vault and the blueprints, Leo kind of offhandedly says, oh, you could get through it, right? And Frank's like, it's custom built. You could do, you could bang on it all you want. The thing is not breaking. Uh, and so it's like, it shows that, that difference where it's like Leo represents uh, the capital owner. Uh, of like a business or whatever, like the the executives, right? Yeah. Who, they don't really do any of the work. They're just kind of profiting off the labor of those who are doing all the work for them, uh, which is sh shown in this film, is that like dichotomy between the relationship between the labor and the capital owner. Um, and yeah. You know, obviously Frank is in the right because it's like he's assuming all the risk. He's the one that knows how to do this. He does it. He does the job. I mean, he literally does the job, not only by well, he doesn't do it by himself, but he does it with his two friends. Um yeah. but he he does the work and Leo is not even properly compensating him for the work that he just did. Right. Um if you want to look at a parallel for that. We can just go to last week in Soy Cuba because, you know, that second vignette of the farmer, the old farmer who has his land bought out from underneath him. 
Uh, your home is no longer your home. Your crop is no longer your crop. Um, the only thing that you own here is the sweat that you used to put into this. Yeah. Is, I think, uh, paraphrasing of the quote from the movie. But that it, I think that's that's so similar to what happens with Leo here or or with Frank here, because Leo swoops in and takes everything. He's got the profit. He's got the actual items that Frank does steal. Um, he's got he's got the power over Frank. He's got him on his bankroll. He has the promise of money to keep Frank coming back and nipping at his heel, asking for more, or at least not more, but what he's owed. But it's that same principle of, I own your sweat. I own the fruits of your labor. I own everything that you've put into this because you are working for me, not for you. You don't really you don't get to enjoy the benefits of your labor because I own that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's basically like before Frank agrees to this deal, he is he has ownership over his labor. He doesn't have to call or respond or like kind of be under this umbrella of authority um that holds yeah as you say all this power uh from his labor and you know and then obviously he makes the deal and that that relationship with him and his work changes absolutely Um, yeah yeah i mean you do make a good point um about like it is it seems a little out of character but i mean when we see that conversation go down he's very timid about it like he doesn't want to do it so maybe he thinks about it like off screen well yeah i i he thinks about it off screen obviously and then he he agrees to it off screen we don't see all that so i'm i'm going to assume that he gives it a week maybe to mull over it think about it he definitely thinks he agrees. I don't know. That's that's how I see that going down. Yeah, he absolutely considers it. He absolutely thinks it over. I just think his thinking it over is sketchy. I see. I mean, I I I I don't think that if you're in the position that he is in, skilled with a good team making money from three separate ventures and good money from three separate ventures. I mean, I mean, maybe, is important. I mean, maybe he was so allured by like the, the amount of money that he could possibly get from that big job. Possibly. That Leo promised, which he did come. I mean, that was one of the very few things that Leo actually pulled through with was like the big job, right? It was a huge job. He was going to yeah. get paid a large amount of money, which he never did. But, you know, at least Leo held his end of the bargain on that that front. I mean, Leo also gave him a house, which was nice. And he gave him a kid, 
That sounds it sounds weird, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, illegitimate adoption, basically. Like his Frank's wife of like one day. Well, like they meet, they meet on the same day and get married on the same day. <laughs> no idea. They have a date later. I don't know. That's one of the most like kind of suspend your belief moments. Yeah. Like or suspend your disbelief moments in the in the entire film. Like, that's probably the most unrealistic aspect of this film. Like, just imagine this stranger comes up to you and tells you his whole life story. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'll marry you. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think they just met in this. I don't think we see their first meeting, but I don't I do think we've seen their first. We see their first conversation. Um, it, it, it gives me the feeling of, oh, he's just a regular who comes into the diner all the time. But like a regular who upon his sixth or eighth visit is like, hey, by the way, you want to get married? And by the way, I'm a jewel thief. And by the way, I can make a lot of money. And by the way, uh, I think you're really pretty and we can we can hang out forever and have a kid legitimately or adopted. You know, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter to me. Whatever works. Did that work? Did I I just pull you? Yeah, absolutely. I did. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like that that the, the the start of their relationship is I, I i think not pictured as is a lot of things it's not pictured uh in the process which is you know something that i i, I am pleased with with this film because you know I, i've i've clearly i've said this many times before like um ah yes you are my brother, as we all know. No one talk. No one talks like that. You talk like you do. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, I mentioned like uh, a few weeks ago, whenever it was. We, uh, we talked about a uh, the Neil Breen movie for April Fool's. Oh, exactly. That's exactly what it was. Um, but I, I, I mean, I talked about the Love Actually character establishment. I'm like, that's the stuff, and it does that. The the this movie does not um treat us like we're stupid yeah which is yeah. great which and, no yeah. we're 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 we're, 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 we're <laughs> holy cow english is hard we're required to understand what happened before um and add in as we get new information we're required to implement that to contextualize what kind of person we are seeing now because when we see frank he's kind of just cold and he's kind of brash and he's kind of rude and you know all right that's cool oh he's been in prison for a while okay maybe that feeds into a little bit more of his uh, why his character is the way it is mm-hmm. um you know, we're presented with Emmy. Oh, he's estranged from. I feel like he was married before. You, you, you mentioned this. Like he's estranged from his uh, first relationship. His yeah, first yeah, family. yeah. He no, he mentioned to his like father figure, Okla, in the in the prison that. Yeah, he was married before. Dude, by the way, when when they were flashing the credits and they said Willie Nelson, I'm like Willie Nelson. That Willie Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. 
Um, one scene. Well, two technically. Technically. Um. But yeah, I mean, um, I want to talk about the second heist, which is probably my favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite sequence in the entire film. Fair. Is it yours? I would assume yes. I I preferred the opening, I'll be honest, just because it hooked me a little bit more. Uh-huh. It, 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 we're not smack in the middle of everything and watching it go down. Um, because it's not like I'm really rooting for Frank to succeed. It's just kind of like, all right, let's see what happens. Mm. At the beginning, it's kind of pulling. It's I, th- I feel like it's a little bit more enticing since I don't know anything. Uh, I see. Yeah, that, that's sort of my standpoint, but it's still impressively shot. It's still impressively done. And it's the same style as the first one in which we watch everything that they do from entering the building to breaking the safe to stealing. Jewels, the stealing the jewels, which there are a ton of <laughs> there are a lot of diamonds. I think Leo says he's planning on selling them for four million. Yeah. So this is four um, million dollars. So Frank's and- share is about a uh, just a little under a fourth. Yeah. Again, he's selling these jewels for about twelve point two million dollars in today's money. Yeah. Which is well, you know what also is important to mention in the in about his character too is to his nature, like about his nature, right? He's very contrarian with the way he does things, which is pointed out quite a lot by Leo, where, you know, well, he starts to get heat on him by the police once he struck this deal with Leo. And these cops are very clearly corrupt. They want to be bribed. They want cash so they can stop bothering Frank. Frank's like, look, I'm not going to give you cash. I'm not going to give you anything you want because I haven't done anything. You know, he's... He's like, why are you why are you bothering me? What did I do? What do you what do you have on me that I did? And so he gets he gets basically taken into custody for no good reason. Uh basically no reason at all, essentially. Like he gets pulled over by these cops and twice. The second time they pull him over, they break his taillight and they like arrest him for a broken taillight, which they just they kicked it in and they broke it themselves, but and then um let's see what else he I mean, you he the gets right? thrown into like the interrogation room and gets beaten up by like five police officers at once yeah they all beat on him at once and poor frank is like dude what what's going on here you know like what do you guys want and then one cop comes up and is like look all we want is money, and that's all we want. And Frank's like, "No, I'm not going to give you money." And it's so, it's so like, it's so weird how brazen the film is about that. Like, like the cops didn't even hide it. They didn't even hide it. They didn't even try to hide it. They were just like, fake mask off. Like, give me money, and I'll stop bothering you. <laughs> and I feel like that's one of the other things that's so sketchy about this because 
we never feel the threat of law enforcement as one to arrest and charge. It doesn't feel like this is, you know, justice in quotes coming in. Um, the the presence of the police in the in the film is limited to these corrupt officers, and they only show up once Frank starts to work with Leo and starts to make that a, a uh, starts to make arrangements with him because Leo, of course, is like one of those big fish because they're in Chicago, are they not? Yeah, they're in Chicago. Yeah, he's one of those big fish mob bosses, um, and they're going to track and see and try and find any links to him they can, which again makes it surprising that Frank agrees considering linking up with a a known rich dude who, you know, bankrolls a lot of shady stuff, puts more scrutiny on him, which means that his work now has to be more careful, more veiled, more um, covered up. Yeah, there's never the thought of there's never a car chase. I mean, not really, not after a heist, at least there's never the I mean, there is the one. But it's only after his agreement with Leo, which puts the police onto his tail. Yeah. I mean, there's never the thought that. Arresting and charging and criminal court is on the way for Frank. It feels like he'll either die in a gunfight or the cops as they're shown in the one scene where they they he's in a police station are going to be corrupt mm-hmm. and they're going to wish for a bribe because justice and what's right and what what's important isn't really i think as centric to this film as we think because our main character is doing something that's wrong but it's not like everybody anybody else is much better. Yeah. He's definitely yeah. our anti-hero. But yeah. it it's not like we're rooting for him. It's just kind of we're like we're interested in the class struggle, we're interested in the power struggle, we're interested in how does this guy choose to handle his business. Yeah. And yeah. um mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean the what gets Frank into this whole situation is one of the people that he trusts to make his drop-offs was skimming money from the top of the mob, which leads to him getting snuffed. There we go. That's two. Um, snuffed. There we go. We're going back to it. That that leads to him losing out on a hundred thousand dollars in that month in that, that day's money, and that leads to him breaking into the uh, or at least forcing his way into the office of the guy who you know put up the dude who killed his friend, saying, "Hey, give make sure you you put this guy up. Give me my money. I want my money. We'll meet here," which then sets up the confrontation with Leo. Yeah a bad trusting relationship or at least trusting someone who is dishonest. And um, I mean, I say dishonest, like it's worse than the thieving, but you know, uh, trusting someone who is <laughs> really people... playing with fire. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. 
walking that dangerous line of, oh, I'm just going to steal from the mob. Nothing bad can happen to me. Mm-hmm. Um, that poor relationship leads Frank into what I would consider to be a worse relationship. Yeah, because he's being exploited for his labor. Absolutely. And so, you know, he gets he gets caught up in that and then he threat he basically makes a threat to Leo's life is like, give me my money in 24 hours. You have 24 hours to give me my money. <laughs> Does it work? No, no, no. But I mean it's so I don't know. I, I like, what do you think about Frank destroying, literally blowing up his businesses and his home and, you know, telling his wife of, like, a month to leave? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I go back to, oh, gosh, I go back to the like the death of uh, the Belushi. Uh, Barry, his is uh, Frank's buddy, and when Leo's got there's that sequence of Leo's he, he's shown on screen upside down, standing over Frank, um, who is yeah. on the ground. Yeah, and that scene of I own you, I own everything that you have, I own, I own your life, I own your house, I own your wife, I own your kid. Oh, you know what he also says on top of that? Uh, he's like, I am going to work you till you either die, you can't work anymore, like you're too old, or you get busted. He, that's yeah. what Leo tells Frank. And it's like that sinking feeling of, yeah, like Leo owns Frank. He is his like wage slave, essentially. Yeah. 100 percent exactly and i think that his frank's decision to destroy i guess i mean not just blow up his business but blow up his life i think he views his confrontation inside leo's house as this is going to be my last thing here this is going to be my last gig here either i die or I live and I have to find a new start somewhere else because the cops are on to me. The yeah. mob is on to me. <laughs> if I succeed, I'm killing a mob boss. I probably am going to have to get the heck out of Dodge. Um, I can't really own a business here anymore. I'm not going to like just pass it off. I'm not going to sign the documents over to somebody because you know that's somebody's going to get targeted. So he's just going to destroy everything that he's kind of got. I don't I understand it. It makes sense. But it kind of just feels like I wasn't expecting him to live through the film. If I'll be completely honest, like Mm. when he's in the house and we see the room vacated, Leo's in the room in that sitting chair. He knocks out a taglia. He walks in. Leo's not in the chair. I'm like, well, that's it. Frank's dead. R.I.P. He's not, but he he doesn't die. Yeah, he doesn't die. But I was fully expecting, I'm like, well, 
that's it. Yeah. I I was Yeah, I I during that during that sequence I was feeling like yeah, he's probably going to die, but I'm hoping I hope that he doesn't. I hope he doesn't die. But he was being extra careful. I was like, "Bro, take your shoes off. It's quieter with just the socks." Take your shoes off. <laughs> yeah. When you're going inside the mob boss's house, just take your shoes off. It's kind of courtesy. Put it by no, the window. No, no. So he can be more quiet when he's stalking around the place. Just wearing socks instead of his boots. I mean, yeah. I mean, but yeah. You would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> Anyways, he kills He kills uh, Leo. He does. Very cathartic. That's right. Get get owned, Leo. Get owned. He also kills his uh hench per people out in the front yard. Yeah. I love how he, he like like Frank Frank looked at his like his Leo's wife. And like he's like, well, she's not she's not a threat. Like there's no reason to kill her. Like so he had he he's clearly has some moral code about him. Like he's yeah. not just like pure. He's not evil manifested into a human being. I mean, as you know, if I were somebody who had my jewels stolen by this guy, I'm like, it's good to know that at least he's principled and that he won't kill him. <laughs> oh, that's that's perfect. That's great. I'm glad to know that he only kills the people who deserve it. I guess. <laughs> Oh, I feel I'm so relieved. Oh, just huge weight off my shoulders. See, I thought my diamonds went to some random hooligan. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, Max. <laughs> Don't you root for the guys that break into these places? Hey, it's insured, bro. It's insured. That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> But hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure that stuff's insured. Really? Is it insured? Like, what are those? What are those people doing, holding all that and not have it insured? This is back when people trusted banks. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, too big to fail? We're just gonna take a little drill, go in through it. Yeah, exactly. Five oh. minutes with a blowtorch, and we're just in the safe. <laughs> Oh, well, that ain't no special type of blowtorch. <laughs> that blowtorch is a, a lightsaber, dude. It's a lightsaber. Yeah, it's a big, long rod. Like, metal yeah. rod. I don't even know what it is. Like, like I don't even know. Gra- like, graph. I don't know. James like Gunn out here looking like a Ghostbuster. Yeah, so, uh, with the goggles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, the hood. No, the hood. The, the hose, too. Yeah, 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 that long rod. Yeah. It's made of like some s- super reactive or like metal or whatever. I don't know. But, anyways, yeah, they light it with a blowtorch. They light it with a blowtorch and then they f- they create that hole in the in the vault. Yeah. In the safe door or the, yeah, the, the vault door. So and they, cool. they, they so cut themselves cool. in through the ceiling. They go in, they go in through the elevator shaft. Yeah, yeah. They, disconnect the alarm before they do that they connect they test all those like electrical wires to see which ones are like alarms yeah or connected to the alarm 
to see like if there's any activity going on on them. Absolutely. That's it's like it's so cool to watch that. It is really cool. And then and then they go inside. He breaks in to like the the room, and then he call he like disables the alarm by communicating to some person wherever else, telling them, you know, they give him a code word to not set the like alert the police essentially. He says the code word, they're chilling. They're good. They're not, they're not and under any threat anymore, basically. Yeah. So they have all the time in the world to to get this done. And the the effects for that like torch thing, so cool. Like all the sparks. Oh yeah. Uh yeah, it looked incredible. Like the shot of of the camera inside the vault itself. And the sparks flying out of it, so cool. So yeah. cool. And also, too, like the shot of the, like it was sort of like inside the, the door itself. Like we were inside the door itself seeing the torch thing, like opening or like cutting through it. That, right. was, so, that was so dope, too. Yeah, like that, that whole sequence was amazing. And then after it was done, like watching Frank sit down on the chair, admiring his work, and like celebrating a job well done, like with the you know lighting the cigarette, and like just relaxing, like oh my god, so good, yeah, and there's no music during that whole time except for when they are like on the ceiling, or on the roof rather, like there's no music at any point during that entire sequence, uh, which you know is a kind of a callback to that Rafifi uh to Rafifi back that came out in the 50s um brilliant absolutely brilliant and you know Michael Mann like for this to be his directorial debut uh it's it's very very good uh for this being his uh feature-length debut um on the big screen for directing it and i think he wrote it yeah he wrote it he did too you're exactly right um it's yeah his, yeah his first feature-length film uh he wrote it he directed it and he was an executive producer and he so writes he and directs. so he funded no. it basically Sorry. no what are you saying i mean he writes and directs most of his films um yeah. he he wrote and directed and produced um nearly everything he wrote and directed and produced uh only two of his films collateral and black hat he did not write oh okay but everything else just all him one man band or big big show which I, I I mean I'm incredibly impressed by. Yeah, yeah. It's not like he's taking somebody's words and fi- finding out how to show the vision. It's all his vision, which I think is incredibly impressive. Um, I mean, even if the people you know when they get shot and thief kind of look like chickens a little bit, they kind of it's kind of it's they they exaggerate the death a little bit. You know, yeah, no, they do. They they kind of just flail a little bit extra, and you know they they 
they do what I did when I was a kid, and like they stick the tongue out of the mouth a little bit, and they go. Eh. <laughs> but you know, if we look past the death, it's all good. I have I have a question for you, and this mm-hmm. is kind of what I was what I'm interested in. Um, I mean, this is definitely a film about you know a power struggle being selling your your work your labor to someone who abuses that privilege and abuses your ability why do you what do you think about frank being a thief and a criminal why do you do you think that's more of an enticing um concept do you think that's more of a an interesting idea than to say if Frank was like a a bagger at a grocery store and Leo is just like the manager of the grocery store asking for extra overtime. I mean, do you do you find that to be more it's the same concept, but maybe we we are more sympathetic with Frank because oh he's just a good guy. He's just working at a grocery store. He's doing his best. Uh I mean I mean, knowing my taste, I'd probably like a film like that. Yeah. Oh, 100%. But I mean, <laughs> would that draw you in more than this? The crime aspect? Mm, probably not. I think the crime, well, like the crime aspect brings a world that I will never know. Like, I will never ever experience what it is to be those people mm-hmm. i mean and i don't really want to be <laughs> so um but like it's certainly it, it's yeah it's more i want to i if i if i had the choice between two, the two films i'd definitely choose thief over like yeah and that could is more relatable that is more within the realm of reality of what I'm used to. And do you think like the clouding of or at least it makes people rank their ethics um and what they think is more right or more wrong with people that are criminals. You can say, okay, yeah, he steals, but stealing is worse is stealing worse than, you know, involuntary servitude slavery by the way that's uh mm-hmm. and, i mean contracting but you know dishonestly contracted do you think the weighing of like how that works also plays into that a little bit i mean i do i totally do i mean yeah um like you you're referring to like his relationship with um leo like his work relationship with leo sort of i mean like in comparison to the grocer uh frank is a grocery store clerk yeah we can kind of say okay that guy's a good honest person doing good honest work um and he's getting screwed we cut to Frank as a thief 
not doing good honest work, but working for people who are maybe could maybe be considered worse than him. Like from the ethical standpoint, it's not like we can say, oh, Frank's the good guy because he's doing stuff that's, you know, technically wrong as well. Yeah. Yeah. But are we able, do we think like being able to say this is less wrong because of this um, makes that a little bit more interesting? Like, I don't think it would, this movie would work if Frank were a good guy. Like good guy and like his, his values. Good guy is in like, if he was just a business owner and not also a jewel thief. Yeah, no, it wouldn't work. No, then it wouldn't work at all. Yeah. Cause I think the, the most interesting thing about this, this film is the fact that because everybody's a criminal in some way, shape, or form, we get to say, I'm more sympathetic towards this cause. And we're, and we're getting to say, it's not like any of them are saints, but we get to say this person is worse or this person is better. This person we understand more of. We get where they're coming from. I, I, I think there's that that aspect of yeah ethics none yeah. none of these actions are especially ethical but one is from a relative perspective yeah one is worse than the other yeah exactly yeah essentially yeah no yeah that's certainly the case in this film and it wouldn't work if that wasn't there i agree um but i think i think another aspect that makes it work is the way he views his work and the way he does his work. Like they're very professional. Uh, they know what they're doing. It's not like they, it's not like anyone and their mom could do what they do. Right. <laughs> no, it takes, it takes skill. It takes knowledge. And it's not like they're dumb. They're smart. Yeah, they're incredibly smart and cunning uh, to to do what they do. So I guess it's like, from that perspective, it's like they're hardworking men, right? Yeah. They're like a part of the working class and that, yeah. that perspective, right? They just happen to be doing a crime and they're making a lot of money out of it. Exactly. I mean, they're they're skilled. They're practiced. They know what they know how to do what they do, and they do it well. Yes, yes. Because it's like, you know, the the American idolization of hard work, or like, you know, hard work is good work. Like work yourself to death, kind of thing, which is the exact opposite of what Frank wants to do. He doesn't want to be a jewel he doesn't want to steal things for the rest of his life he wants to retire he wants to have a family he wants to do that as soon as he possibly can yeah. right he doesn't want to he doesn't want to work anymore and he's very very confident or not confident but very 
well aware of his situation with regards to his relationship to his work. Like, I mean, that's, we've, I've said that a lot already at this point, but like, it's, it's important. It's an important aspect of his character and of the film as a whole of like the, the ethos of this film is like, no matter what your work is, I mean, okay, yes. I mean, you shouldn't do crimes, obviously. Uh, that's, I'm not, I'm not endorsing uh, being a jewel thief as cool <laughs> as it may seem in this film to be a jewel thief. Uh, don't do it. Um, but <laughs> um, like they, yeah, it's like the way that their work is shown and showcased and filmed is I kind of the level of respect I get, like I, I respect their work. Like I would respect the work of like, a, I don't know, like for an example, like a, a, a craftsman making a nice table or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like something yeah. like that, right? It's like, wow, that's really good work. You did a great job. That sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, you could frame them as sort of an artisan. Um, yeah, yeah. The, it's it's skilled technical work that not many people can do but he does it really well and the people that do it really well should be compensated fairly for their the work that they do it's just that you know instead of selling a teapot he's stealing jewels yeah yeah uh yeah but that does it i mean does it inherently make him a bad person though like i mean he's he's committing a crime like he is stealing things that aren't rightfully his so i guess yes and no i, I don't know if you consider criminals to be i don't consider all criminals to bad. be evil like they're not all bad like there's people that have no choice, right? Like given their economic circumstances, like that's that's kind of like their environment. And so they don't have many opportunities to get out of that cycle of crime and poverty. Yeah. Um, so it's just kind of like the first thing to do. Right. Um, so like those people aren't bad. They're not bad in any way, shape or form. It's just that they there's no other way out for them. But then there are people that actually do crimes because they enjoy it and, you know, for other motives or whatever. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you 100% there. Like, the... I, I don't... I might not like Frank. I might not be his, like, number one fan. But he's, he doesn't deserve the treatment that he gets from Leo. And I do feel better once he gets the upper hand and kills Leo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's that, yes, I do recognize that, that Frank is doing something wrong here. Yes, I do recognize that he is he's committing a crime. He's taking from people who, I mean, maybe they deserve, maybe they don't, but I, who am I to say if they, people deserve stuff stolen from them? 
but like I he he's doing it for a better life for himself and eventually a family of his own. Leo's just kind of well, I can do more. I can just make more money if I exploit this guy. And it's I'm drawn to that struggle because I also don't believe that Frank is a bad person. I don't agree with him. Yeah. But I don't think that he is a bad person. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, on that um, judgment. Yeah. But, um, I mean, would you give it another chance and watch it again or no? I mean, I don't think so. Mostly because, I mean, I, I think it was solid, but I don't think that it was like groundbreaking. You know, it like uh, compared to other things that discuss the same topics that we've discussed on this podcast, I I don't rate it higher than I don't rate it. Well, let's see. I don't rate it higher than Parasite. Certainly, I mean, hard to. Um, yeah. I don't rate it higher than Soy Cuba. Um. Class, class, class. What else is with class? Um, not Magnolia, not Moonlight, not Decision to Leave. I mean, I don't rate it higher than Yee. I, I think it sits around the same spot as Prisoners. I don't know which one I ranked higher, actually. Which one did I, what did I rate Prisoners? Oh, yeah, I actually rated it below Prisoners. Why did I do that? Oh, yeah, because they just stamp on moral ambiguity in Prisoners. Yeah, so I, I put it just a little bit below Prisoners, too. And Prisoners was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm watching this right now. Uh, holy crap, Paul Dano's face is just... Yikes. <laughs> but, like... I mean, oh, it, it does it well, but I don't think it does it as well as the other stuff that we've we've discussed. Yeah, Triangle of Sadness, MVP. Mm. I disagree on that, but fair enough. Touche. <laughs> yeah, touche. Yeah. Oh man, do you hear? Do you hear little children in the background? No. Okay, good. Because I have the window open. There's a bunch of little kids outside that are playing. No. Playing ball. And they're loud. I was going to say, do you need an exorcist? No. You have, are you hearing <laughs> the voices of little children? <laughs> no. Are they, are they dancing in your head? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just live on the cinematic odyssey tristan snaps 
and I go insane. I'm like, <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Um, yeah. What about what? What are we doing next week? Oh, oh, you haven't heard? We're traveling over to Japan. Ryusuke Hamaguchi, drive my car. Yeah. I'm so excited. So I know you've been wanting to do this for a while. We're finally I getting know. doing it. I've been talking about it for three months. Yeah, I know. Finally. Have you did you finish reading the book? I got it with me. I started it. It's weird already. Like of the of the people listed, Uncle I mean they they're doing Uncle Vanya. Of the characters listed, the top four are not actually Uncle Vanya. It's um he's like the fifth Wait, guy. Uncle Vanya. Is that like an adaptation or something? What what is that? That's the that's the play that they're producing in um Oh in the song. That's the one that he's um our lo- our lead, I think his name's Kafuku. That's the one he goes to produce or direct. Yeah. And I'm reading it to try and see if there's it's a parallel or an allegory in the film. If that if there are similar themes. Oh, I see. Okay. Because Uncle Vanya, you've got uh, this old kind of professor that's chilling in his estate by the sea because, of course, he is. He's got his young wife. You've got his daughter from his first marriage with his with his um. That wife has since been deceased. But he's got a young wife and he's got a daughter who's about that age. Um, his first wife's mother is there. His first wife's brother is there. And the brother is Uncle Vanya due to his relationship to the daughter. Okay. So it's like, it's not the, he's the title character, but he's not like the... It doesn't seem like he's the focal point yet, though I'm not all the way through. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. But it'll be, it'll be. Who's it written by? When was it written? Or who was it written by? Yeah. Anton Chekhov. Oh, so it's a Russian thing? Oh, yeah. It's hella Russian. 1890s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I think it came out, maybe it was the early, early 1900s. Um, I want to say like, maybe it would, if it came out in the 1900s, like 1901, 1904. Ah, got it. 1898, right on the cusp. Produced by the Moscow Art Theater. Directed by Konstantin Stanislavski, one of the founders of modern acting technique, mm. because those Russians may have been crazy and may have had czars, but they knew stuff about acting. Yeah, yeah, they, they knew stuff about art. That's for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. But here we go. That's coming up. Get excited, because this is going to be a good one. Yeah. Oh yeah, I got. Where can we? Can I watch that? Can it's on. It's on Max. Oh, on Max. Yeah. On Not on Max. me, but you know. Hey, yeah, I'm gonna watch it on you. 
Oh, that seems so weird. <laughs> I hate it. I hate the rebrand so much because I just see this subject line Max in my email and it bothers me so much. Max. I wonder why they I mean, I know why. It's because of the merger that they had with Discovery. Or time was what Time Warner and Discovery, right? I, I think know. I can't I keep know. track of this. I feel like mergers should have ship names just to help me memorize them a little bit better. You know, like, so we can just kind of see whether or not it'll work, you know, Apple and Time Warner. Yeah, yeah. Apple. I don't know. <laughs> well, enough of us, because if we can, I can keep going. I'm talking about oh, yeah. it. Point, but we we should probably cut the episode off so the pe- the poor people listening to us talk <laughs> thank you by the way for that the those that have been listening even during the season i haven't even looked i gotta look at our analytics and see what's going on but thank you for listening we do appreciate it very much no we do we really do appreciate all the fans all the 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 consistent listeners that listen yeah. every week to us rant or not really we don't really rant. we just kind of like in circles about movies yeah. <laughs> no nah, but but no nah, we, we appreciate all you guys that do listen that means a lot um and if you do want to be a guest just let us know indeed you guys are more than welcome to to come on for a guest a guest um but yeah that was uh thief directed by michael mann we'll we'll talk about heat at some future date because that film is a masterpiece in my opinion i love heat that is so good um <laughs> oh boy i can i can taste <laughs> hey, I'm already, it i'm, I'm ready already, i'm already setting you up for disappointment am i <laughs> yeah i am oh person said it's a masterpiece oh it's gonna suck yeah, it's gonna be garbage. Yeah. <laughs> of the films that I've seen, that I'm like, oh yeah, this is it. This is like, this is a goaded film. How many would you say you would have agreed with me? Uh, I'll look yeah. at it. We'll we'll, we'll 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 discuss that. Yeah, we'll discuss that later. Yeah, we don't want to keep going. But anyways. <laughs> Thanks all for listening. This has been the Cinematic Odyssey here on United to the Moose. Tune in next week for Raisuke Haimaguchi's Drive My Car. Uh, I think that one con that year, I believe. Uh, uh, no, it was, I think yeah. it was still Titan. But it did win Best International Feature at the Oscars. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, probably the best film of that year, honestly. It was fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that next week. You're on the Cinematic Odyssey. This has been Thief, Michael Mann, forever. <laughs>